I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slowly. Hey, this is Jeff. In February of 2020, one of the last things TJ and I did together before COVID was to throw an epic Enneagram conference we called Liberation. In it, we elevated the Enneagram as a tool not only to see ourselves and our motives, but to see our obstacles and how to overcome them. We were very proud of this material, though we had to cancel all of our remaining 2020 events. Over the next few weeks, we will be releasing clips from that conference with the hope that not only you'll share it, but that we can begin creating our next touring event for 2022. Thank you again, as always, for listening, and may all good things be yours. So when my child was six, uh, he lost his first tooth, pulled it out, put it in his pocket, and the tooth disappeared. That's right. My kid lost his first lost tooth. Uh, So I told him what he should do is he should write a note to the tooth fairy and explain the situation, let me look at it, and I bet the tooth fairy would figure out how to help him. So my son never gets around to actually writing out the note, but he did recover his lost tooth, and unbeknownst to the tooth fairy, it slid itself back under his pillow. Now my child is quite smart and actually knew how to write when he was six. Um, And he wrote a new note and a week later showed it to me. And the note said, dear tooth fairy, I am charging you interest on the tooth you haven't picked up. You owe me $2 for the tooth and $2 a day for not picking up the tooth. And as you expect, me being a good father, I allow my kid to negotiate all my contracts now. (laughs) Losing a tooth of you remember losing your first tooth? My, my dad's a dentist and knows how to remove teeth. And it was a violent situation. I remember I'm in the basement of our first house. He goes, he goes, your tooth is wiggly? I was like, uh-huh. He's like, let me look. And he just like twists it, yank it. I was like, ah, okay. And that was, that's how I lost my first tooth. The thing was, I was the youngest kid in my elementary school class, and I remember growing up and feeling shame that I still had all my teeth when every, all the other kids, you know, had these mangled, you know, it's those big, overly big chompers in the front, and their high school pictures are like, and my high school pictures were like this, because I didn't want anybody to see my full face filled with teeth. But why? Why is there anxiety over something that you have, something you possess. There is something about growth. There is something about growth that often isn't just about acquiring something. Sometimes growth can actually be about subtraction. I want to get that idea rolling in our minds. We all know the subtraction of a tooth matters because it's a sign that we are maturing, we are growing up, we are becoming something more. What if some of our most significant steps actually begin with reduction? Uh, In 1460, there was a sculpting master. He began fashioning a marble statue of David, and he only got so far as etching the space between David's legs. It's an enormous piece of marble, very expensive, but it sat in a church courtyard for years and years and years until a young artist took up the work. And for the next three years, that artist carved away all the excess, all that was unnecessary in this white block, and he made it into a masterpiece. And when Michelangelo was done with the David, he said this, he said, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free, carving away all the excess. It's all about subtraction. The Catholic teacher Richard Rohr says, all great spirituality is about letting go. 
the, there's something about letting go, and we know this, that actually frees us at times. The beauties of our souls can often be found not in just adding another thing, one more thing, one more thing, but in carving away all of the excess, all the trash, all the things that hold us back from what we want and who we really are. You will know this some 30, 35 years ago, there was a huge fire in Yellowstone National Park up the road. They, at the time, were the largest forest fires in U.S. history, and 800,000 acres burned. We will know this. The mountain pine beetle had killed a large number of the trees, and because of the ethic of national forests, they couldn't clear out all the dead. And so when the fire began, it swept through Yellowstone very quickly. It decimated very old forests. Um, you could see satellite imagery of smoke moving its way from Wyoming all the way up into Canada. And so there was like this mourning that took place. And Time magazine and all the rest had pictures of these fires splashed across their covers. And there was like this sense of deep loss that, that uh, Yellowstone was on fire. And then something happened the next spring that folks didn't expect. Park officials said that they experienced an eruption of life, specifically among wildflowers, that they had never seen before. And of course, it's because much of the dead, the ground cover, that had just been dead sitting there for, for years and years and years, that had never gotten picked up, was wiped away and it just allowed life to flourish in those spaces once you remove the dead. Life has all sorts of room. Jesus reminds us that it's in dying that we live. There's these images of cutting off branches that bear no fruit in Jesus' teaching and allowing those branches that produce fruit to become more healthy. It seems to me, big idea here, it's a bad sign. It's a bad sign when there isn't like a clearing taking place in your life and mine. We know what this is like. It's a bad sign when we don't actually engage subtraction at some level. And what the Enneagram shows us is that liberation occurs when we identify our primary addiction and we remove its power. That's where we get healthy. That's where we get our healthiest, I should say. When we identify our primary motive, what we want, when we identify the addictive quality and we remove its power intentionally, that's when we become our healthiest. So how do you do that? That's where we're going to go. So we're going to talk about uh, a couple of different things that I'm going to pair. The main thing that we're going to talk about is what's called the holy ideas. So these are different aspects of the divine that are refracted in each type. Uh, Christopher Hewitt, who wrote the sacred Enneagram, he calls these fruit. So these are particular qualities that each type is able to show, to, uh, to uphold as, as a value. And Father Richard Rohr, who wrote uh, the Enneagram, A Christian Perspective, he calls these invitations. These are both the goal that we can be aiming at, and they are the means to get there. These are ways that God exists in the world and has developed us to showcase a particular aspect of God. That's why they're called the holy ideas. So I'm going to go through and do each of the holy ideas uh, for, uh, for each type, but I'm also going to pair them with a contemplative practice. So in order to say yes to something, you have to say no to something else. Sometimes doing the hard work of developing the things that you care about, sometimes doing the hard work of slaying, of taming, of training the dragon that you're fighting means that you have to actually do hard work. There's no silver bullet in these spaces. Contemplative practice is one excellent way that you can start to develop and move towards your holy idea. That's why I'm going to pair them together. To add another little 
facet of this, there's going to be an intention and a posture and a holy idea, a goal. So the, the thing that we do as a contemplative practice, the way that we do it, and what we're aiming at. Now, this can be used in prayer time. This can be used in uh, meditation, in uh, how you think about going on walks, figuring out what works for you that's part of your work. Doing contemplative practice, especially with these type-specific goals in mind, can do a lot of the legwork for you, but you have to show up for the practice. You don't have to do any of what I'm about to show you. That's totally fine. This is a great way to get started down a path. And if you don't want to do this work, then you need to find something else that you can do. Because if you don't do the work, you're just a ship filled with barnacles. Uh, so I'm going to start with eights, because we like starting with eights. Exactly. This is the last thing. So eights, after this, you can leave. So the holy idea for eights is truth. Holy truth. Truth, mercy, justice. These are the things that eights can showcase, eights can recognize, eights can highlight. And as they become more and more healthy, they can actually help other people be more truthful in the world. Uh, and, and like I said, truth, mercy, justice. When these reach their highest level, these are all sort of the same thing. There is a truth. And as eights develop and as eights become more and more mature, they actually start to see that truth, holy truth, God's truth, is actually something bigger than my truth. Because eights are certain of their rightness. And when they start to embrace holy truth, they actually start to see more clearly God's rightness, not mine. So the practice for eights developing truth is that they consent in stillness. So all of the body types, eights, nines, and ones, need to practice stillness. We're about action. That's the thing that we're focused on. Stillness is our practice. Eights being aggressive, being demanding, being the types of people that they are, they need to consent to stillness. They need to allow stillness in their lives, creating space and allowing nothing to happen so that they can spend time and energy on truth. Because if they're spending time and energy fixing the problems and helping other people and solving these things over here and doing the thing that they think they're supposed to be doing, then they're not working on truth. They don't have space for it. So they consent in stillness and develop truth. The, the easiest thing to point to with all of this is a very specific meditative practice. Prayer is a great example of that. Um, doing this on purpose, like, I pray when I drive. That is not intentional stillness. So, yeah, please do. And, and notice the, the intentional move to not act, consenting to stillness. There seems to be, in my mind, the, exactly on that front, the, the God's truth. The truth is that God cares for you at all times. And if there is a fear underlying the sin that you're going to struggle with, which is I may be weak or vulnerable, the truth is God is a shield around you. 
If you consent to God's power overseeing you, your heart, everything about your life, consent to the protective qualities of God, then you enter a space that is different and you are rescued from your fear. And the fear leads to sin, sin leads to fixation, and there's the rabbit hole. But if that mindset of the truth is that God is my protector, provider, defender, and I don't need to do that for myself, I don't need to be the one establishing the barriers, that is a, that's a very healthy posture to take. And we'll see this with all the holy ideas. It is a pushing into grace. What do you think? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. You, can, you want to jump in the nines? Yep. <laughs> so moving over to nines. Nines have the holy idea of holy love. So this is a love of others, unconditional, unpartial, holy love. Uh, It's also a love of self, which is a big thing that nine, a lot of nines really struggle with, is getting into the self and thinking that we are also important. Because nines, you are very important, created exactly as you are to be you. You're very important to the world. We need you. Uh, and leaning into that holy love, it, it offers value, meaning, and acceptance to ourselves and to everyone around us. And it also allows us to recognize conflict for what it is in more valuable ways. Because when you love someone, you don't worry about fighting with them as much because the truth is more important than the fight. You want to express a certain kind of love that doesn't have to do with behavior, that isn't going to break from conflict. But in order to do that, you run the risk of having conflict. When you embrace holy love, God's kind of love, then you express that in ways that lets other people be who they want to be as well. And you don't worry as much about conflict. A way to develop this, the practice for nines, is to engage stillness. Nines are very good at not doing anything. We're not very good at doing it on purpose. So meditating is very difficult for nines. Watching TV for three hours is not very difficult for nines. Those are not the same thing. One of them is a contemplative practice. The other one is something totally different. So we need to engage stillness and cultivate that love for ourselves, for others around us, and to be an example of that in the world. So engaging stillness for nine, like, like you said, we're good yeah. at kind of tuning out Um, I think there's a big difference in rest, uh, between rest and this. Um, For me, it means carving out an actual time where I sit down and do this thing specifically. It's not not just like, whenever I can, I'm going to rest. It's not just, I'm going to shut off my brain for a few minutes. It's like, this is a time when I sit and I intentionally pray, or I intentionally meditate. I have to do this on purpose or I'm never going to do it. Because we're good at doing the wrong thing the wrong time. Absolutely. Yeah. But can you say that for every number? That that is important? Uh, yeah, but I think that um, four nines in particular, the intentionalness of it is, is really... I, I think that there are a lot of types that can do this a lot easier than nines can. Uh, and that's why, like, it, it's all contemplative practice. It, it might all end up shaken out the same way. Um, but how we go into it is, is going to be different for each type. The intention and the posture, stillness is what I need. Stillness is not necessarily what a three need. They need to practice solitude, which we'll get into. And, and the intentionality of it is I can do stillness, I can't do it on purpose unless I actually do it. Um, so I was thinking for myself, I now just seeing like a mom and a wife and a business owner, there's so much going on. Um, earlier in my life, I feel like I really embraced 
Yeah. I do want to bend down from mm-hmm. and you know listen to a podcast or whatever it might be as opposed to meditate. Do you have any advice just for folks who are so busy and then find that downtime? How do you choose between intentional stillness and rest if you mm-hmm. have to choose one or the other? Uh, I would say there's definitely seasons where this is going to be easier than others. Uh, there's definitely seasons where I, as, as a, a parent with young children, possibly a newborn, like I highly doubt that there are good engaged parents that have regular time to meditate, meditate with a newborn in the house. Like that, that changes things. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's recognizing that this is a season and then not letting yourself stay in that season well after the season ends. And in order to say yes to something, you have to say no to something else. I hate getting up early in the morning. I hate it. I don't, I'm not very good at it. I way prefer the nighttime. And if I don't get up a half an hour earlier, I don't ever meditate. In order to say yes to this, I have to say no to sleeping in sometimes. This is, this is the culture that we live in. Busyness is praised like it's the best thing that we could possibly do. In order to say yes to something like a contemplative practice, you're going to have to say no to something else. It seems to me on this front, a couple things if you look at the chart, the immaturity is addressed here. Uh, the, the nine and self-abandoning of not taking care of yourself, your body, being aware of your physicality is a big thing. Because God loves you, God cares about you and your physicality, and you are not to be a receiver of all the world's toxicity, which nines can become because they are the peaceful presence in a lot of people's lives. Saying and declaring, I'm going to engage a point in time where I am going to be still apart from the toxicity. I am going to invest in myself in a silent, in a silent posture, whatever that looks like. I know what that looks like for once. Um, it's, it's the intentionality that counters the sloth, and it's the intentionality that counters the self-abandonment is the things that kind of strike me on this front. How's that feel? Come on. Uh, so once, the holy idea for ones is perfection or order. Uh, this is about recognizing that things have a purpose that there is a design, and that I am not the one who did the designing. So it is about recognizing that there is something that is in charge and moving all things and ordering all things, and it is not me, and that is okay, because it is a good thing. Uh, There's a method behind what looks like madness, and when ones get to realize this, when ones live out of that place, They don't have to fix everything. They don't have to fix other people. They don't have to fix themselves as much because they know that they are on a path. They don't have to worry about everything going exactly right. And they don't have to worry about being corrupt because they know that something more important, bigger, smarter, more good than them has them on a path that is moving them towards the goodness that they seek. The way that ones cultivate this is by resting in stillness. Ones have a general sense that there's always something to do, there's always something to be fixed, and sometimes they just need to rest. This is different from eights who need to allow it. It's different from nines who need to do it on purpose. Ones need to rest in their stillness and cultivate that idea that there is order. There is a perfection that's guiding the world that is not about me. You're gonna earn the goodness, earn the goodness, earn the goodness. That's your stance. The rest is the opposite of your stance. Move into a space where you are inviting God's grace to be the one that's ordering your life and the lives of others. Huge idea for, uh, in the Christian tradition is that Jesus is Lord, that is, every single detail is under the sovereignty of divine power. You have a job to do. You need to be aware and open to what that specific job is and intentional about it, but it's not your job to fix everything. And that might sound silly to all the other numbers, but ones know it. It's 
our job to fix everything. And it's not. And that's, that is a rat wheel that will kill you, lead to the resentment, hypersensitivity going down into those places of dysfunction. Let's move over to twos. We move into the heart triad. And these are going to need a different kind of prayer posture. Twos, their holy idea is holy will or holy freedom. Because when you do not find your value in what you can do for other people, then you can actually do whatever you want. Because when you are not bound to what other people expect of you, then you can actually do the, learn the things that you expect of yourself. You can spend time developing yourself and, and letting yourself become more valuable and acting out of that value. When you are not bound to needing to be helpful, then you can actually start to figure out what is helpful. And you can start assigning value to other people by taking care of them in ways that they can't take care of themselves, but from that place of holy freedom. And part of the way that you get there is by consenting to solitude, by allowing yourself to be alone, by allowing yourself to not have to consult someone else about how to do whatever it is you're trying to do, by allowing yourself to have your own opinions, to have your own needs, and consenting to not needing someone else to inform how you behave. To get in the, the case that God's grace is in an unlimited favor pointed at your heart, your standing and value can never be diminished in the eyes of the only one who actually matters. My, routinely, I have this vision for twos that you have a bank account and it is of the deep love and overflowing affection of God. And that bank account is stocked full and you can never, ever, ever, ever spend enough. And so what would you do if you knew that you didn't need to earn $1 more from anybody, the love that you desire, that it's already lavishly given to you, what would happen is you would be free. You'd be free to simply do the daily tasks that you have to love people without strings attached because you don't need anything from them because you are entirely robustly filled up. And when you consent to solitude, that is what you discover that that's God's posture towards you. Suzanne Stabile says um, about her own two-ness, what is mine to do? Not what needs to be done, what is mine to do? When you consent to solitude, when you develop that, that will and freedom, you start to figure out what things are yours to do. Not what needs to be done, what's yours to do? Clipping along, we move to threes. Uh, threes have a holy idea of holy hope or harmony. Threes really worry about failure and appearing like a failure. And when they develop their hope, when they develop something, hope in something bigger than themselves, then they don't have to worry about failure. They don't have to worry about other people telling them how valuable they are. They don't have to worry about their accomplishments being the thing that says, I have value, because they have hope in something bigger than that. They have hope that there is more than the things that are right in front of us. Uh, and this also means that they don't have to work as hard, because if you hope in God, then you don't, then the things that are going to happen are going to happen without your interference. Uh, and this is where, like, shame and dishonesty plays so heavily in for threes. Because they are so worried that people are going to figure out that they're a failure, that they don't have hope. They have work that they have to do to make sure people can't see what's behind the mask. And when you have hope, then you can take off the mask. Part of how you get to that is by engaging solitude. You need to do it on purpose. It does not count for you to go up into the mountains and take an Instagram photo of your meditation practice. 
you have to do solitude on purpose. And you have to like really lean into it. And it's going to be hard and quiet and weird. And nobody's going to tell you how good of a job you did. And you have to do it on purpose because you need hope. So again, the case, the holy ideas are dominoes in the, towards health, where the fears are the dominoes going the opposite shadow direction. And for if I have hope that God sees me with unsurpassable value, that is going to be detrimental to your fear because you cannot possibly be worthless. If you cannot possibly be worthless, you got no shadow. There's no reason to lie to anyone. There's no reason to sink into vanity. You have unsurpassable worth and that is the gracious gift. That is God's actual honest opinion of all that you are at your core, no masks. You have unsurpassable value, and that can't be added to by any accomplishments uh, that you end up um, star charting. And as you grow and develop and cultivate this hope, you actually showcase that by showing other people their value. Yeah. By, by becoming this motivating force to say there's, there's great things out there and we can go get them. So, fours. Fours have the holy idea of holy origin or originality. Fours are very concerned about authenticity, what is real. And when fours develop their sense of holy originality, they see that uniqueness is part of everything, and it's a good and valuable thing to be cultivated, to be shared. And if you are unique on purpose, then there's no way that you are naturally deficient. If fours lean in and cultivate and really start to develop their sense of them being created on purpose, with purpose, then envy doesn't have footholds because you are the way you are for a reason and they are the way that they are for a reason. And it doesn't matter if it seems like they have something you don't, you have things that they don't and that's okay. So part of how fours get into this is by resting in solitude. Fours are very good at spending time in their feelings. Fours are very good at being with their feelings with other people and being with their feelings by themselves. And one of the things that they need to do is rest from being with their feelings. Let go for a few minutes. Really spend time focusing on originality, focusing on holy origin, focusing on the idea that you're created with a purpose, not really worrying about what you feel. Focus on that and rest in that solitude. Yeah, to double down on that, the, the living God could have created countless trillions of other universes without one person in them, and that person's you. And yet this world exists, and there's a reason this world exists and that this world was selected and not the countless trillions of others. It's because you're in it. Your originality, your uniqueness is vital to the type of world that God wants to actualize and resting in that. It's a place of deep health that again attacks our fears of being personally insignificant because apparently you're not. You are vital because this is the universe that it was actualized. Any questions about fours? If our MO is to be in our emotions, then what kind of space would go to be Because it seems like to me, if ever I'm like, I'm, I love solitude. Yep. And I, like, for my, my standard recharge practice is to just put in my headphones and go hiking. Mm -hmm. But, that also, like having the music going in a way, it almost feels like a distraction. Yep. Um, comma, however, not having that lets the dark emotions creep back. Sure. So, is does that count, or is there another way around? That? I would say develop 
some more uh, action and thought-based contemplation times. And like movies and TV rely on music to help um, not only keep things interesting, but to help set the mood. You know what to feel based on what the music is telling you to feel. Uh, and there are, there are uh, some great examples out there of like, moments where it, the, the filmmakers have, have really intentionally tried to create these really raw experiences where you're just taking in the information and being present in the way that, that the characters are present, and it's not telling you exactly how to feel. And then you realize that, that what's happening in that is that there's no music. So maybe white noise while you're hiking would be a better idea. Some, something that's not informing how you are to feel. Because that is part of what music is for, is to expose feelings, express something. And maybe if, if that's the path that it's taking you on, then a good way to contemplatively practice resting from that feeling space would be to not listen to music. Uh, fives. Fives have the holy idea of transparency or omniscience. And this is about seeing the world clearly, seeing the pieces, seeing all of the pieces in their entirety and seeing how they fit together and without any kind of agenda or judgment. This is part of one of the, the great things that fives bring and when they can showcase this in really healthy and valuable ways, it's so useful for us because we often do not see past the ends of our own noses. But there is a much bigger picture that we can't see. And when fives are able to lean into the, that holy omniscience, that holy transparency to look at all of the disparate parts to look at things more clearly than just what's right in front of us and to sort of put a bigger picture together, then all of a sudden, all of it makes a little bit more sense. Part of how they get there is by consenting to silence. So five start the head triad for us and the head triad all need to work on silence because the thoughts are always going. And the only way to shut down the thoughts is to work on it. And fives need to allow, to give permission to their silence because they're always trying to figure it out. They're always trying to collect, observe, categorize the data. Consenting to silence will allow fives to really cultivate that sense of the bigger picture. It's again the case that bringing God in, God knows all things, God's the omniscient one. Fives will wrestle with their fears in that if I don't know enough, I'm going to be harmed. The consent here of, of I can't possibly know all the things, but God does. And so what God speaks over you is your needs are not a problem. That's the heart message that fives need to hear from others, from the creator. Your needs are not a problem. And by understanding, having faith in the grace of God, expressing God's omniscience, that God sees every single detail, that none of your needs go unknown, cataloged, understood. Living in that saves you from your fear. Doesn't matter how competent you are. Um, you're never gonna be competent enough to protect yourself at that level. So you live in the competence of God who is omniscient. Come on, that's good. Yeah. Preaches. Thoughts on fives? Questions, Questions on fives? Yeah. I just have a question. Can you flesh out the connection between silence and the provision of resources? Because all that makes sense to me. But, but if you're consenting to silence, how does that answer the resource mindset of the bucket that's constantly here? That's a good question. That's an excellent question. Uh, you want to answer? Yeah. The, it's, it's about, so the, the five is going to struggle with fear. And the, the, if I know enough, I will be able to protect myself. If I um, hoard enough resources, I will be able to protect myself. Here's the, here's the truth we all need to embrace. You're never, ever, 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 ever going to be able to protect yourself at the level that you want to. That's just a fact. 
stepping into that space of knowing that God sees all the details uh, allows you to be, you know, enlivened there and the fear doesn't have a place to anchor anymore. You don't need to know all the details. The, like silencing your oh, yeah. Sorry, I meant to talk about silence. Yeah, so that's exactly it. Is you, can, you can pause the constant, I need to think about this, I need to think about this, I need to assess all the dangers. There might be dangers. Let me think about the dangers. And you are free. Don't need to be greedy. Don't need to be emotionally closed off. Don't need to be reality escaping. Dominoes are stopped. That would be something. Where I go. I have a friend who uh, was studying philosophy and he was reading Camus, who's a French, yep. French philosopher. And he wanted to fully understand Camus. So he started to learn French so that he could read Camus in Camus' language. Uh, and as he was learning French, he realized that French has specific connections to several other languages. So he started to learn the other romantic languages at the same time as he was learning French so that he could read Camus, which has been translated into English. <laughs> this is a great thing about how fives do this. Sometimes that can become such a pattern that that's all that's ever happening, is that you're following the next piece of the puzzle and just constantly working towards that. Intentionally practicing, like consenting, consent? Yeah, consenting to the silence is about recognizing you don't have to learn Russian in order to read Camus. Uh, getting to sixes, we find holy faith or holy strength. This is about trusting in the things that we hope for. It's about living from a place where we believe in ourselves and in the people around us. It's about putting trust in something bigger than what we expect, what we see. It's about leaning into the idea that the God that we believe in is more and more powerful than what we expect and learning to live in that place of faith. Part of how sixes in particular cultivate this is by engaging silence. Sixes also have that thing that's going all the time, all the time, worrying about what might go wrong. It starts about an earthquake. Who, it starts with an earthquake. <laughs> and sixes really need to be intentional about stopping. Intentional about arresting those thoughts. Being really just so on purpose about practicing that silence. Because even in silence, sixes' minds are still going 100 miles an hour. And they need to be very intentional about developing that. And as such, they learn to rest in their faith. God's a strong one. God's strength is all that's, that's required for you. And God's strength is graciously exuded in your direction for your benefit. There is nothing that uh, comes into your sphere that is not allowed by the living God, if you push into God's strength, you understand you are not without support. That the only support there is, the support that holds up the entire cosmos of a couple trillion, no, few billion galaxies, each of the few billion suns, stars, 100 billion, I'm getting my numbers wrong, it's a long day. The um, ends up being the one that, that holds you. That seems to me, again, to be, that is stopping the dominoes. If you fear being without support, that will lead down your shadow side. But if you push into God's strength, then clearly you are not without support. You are anchored into the only foundation that actually exists. It's also the case that you display that faith to everyone else. Yeah, when and we I, need to see it. When I go to six in stress... Man, it's really, really good for me to find people who can say, 
it's mm. going to be all right. Mm. Because something is bigger than us. And to, to display the strength that comes from that faith. Because there might be work to do. And it's going to be okay. We're going to do the work. Because something is bigger than us. Questions about sixes? Yeah. I feel like perspective to you. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. God is in control. I am not. And leaning into that, that place of faith. It's like, oh, okay. And again, figuring out what is mine to do. Yeah. This is something you touch on that really helped engaging the silence, recalling things from the past that have worked out and you thought wouldn't because you were scared, things like that. What are, what are some more specific things? Memorizing Bible passages that have to do with protection and stating those, internalizing those, allowing them to wash over your mind. That's for all the, for ones, twos, and sixes. Allowing, uh, journaling and memorization can be super helpful because they end up moving you towards productive thinking. Uh, music tells us how to feel. So maybe white noise is a good option for people who need to shut down, who need to sort of get away from that sort of feeling space. Mantras shut down the thinking space. This is why every major religion mm. has some sets of mantras. Yep. Catholics use the rosary. Uh, there's, that's the only, literally the only one I can think of right now. But I know there are others represented in cultures across the world throughout history. Well, Psalm 23 and Lord's Prayer, they're both about God's strength and yeah. provision. Yeah. There you go. Um, you're exactly right. And, yeah, okay. and just practicing specific mantras. You don't, once you memorize it enough, you don't have to think to say it. You just mm -hmm. go. And it brings you to a place of centering. Yeah. So. The Shema is in Judaism and the, the confession of Allah is the only God. These are all about God's power. Sevens. Last but not least, the sevens display holy wisdom. This is uh, the idea that Seeing the truth of the way the world actually works. Seeing something bigger than ourselves, we see that joy and pain coexist in this particular world. And pain can actually elevate the experience of joy. And recognizing that happiness, that satiation, isn't joy. And sevens tap into that space of God's wisdom, of holy wisdom, they start to see more clearly and with clearer eyes the different things that are valuable in the world. They start to be a little more sober, a little more somber, and a little more able to stay where they're at. Because wisdom lives here, now. And so sevens, cultivating that, that space of, of wisdom, of God's wisdom, recognize that there isn't something out there that they can find. There's something valuable here. And how they, part of how they get to that space of wisdom is by resting <clears throat> in their silence. Sevens have a lot of plans and a lot of ideas and a lot of things that they want to accomplish. They have a lot of places that they want to go. And sometimes they just need to rest and be silent. One, one author, Seven, writes a spiritual memoir called How to Be Here. And being here is both about enjoying life and being able to exist in the pain. And there's, a, there's something about God's wisdom that tells us that this is valuable for you during this time. And again, it's an act of grace that, that wipes over you, um, that your daily bread is provided. This is, I'm, I'm convinced that Jesus is a seven. Jesus ends up pushing very hard into this and saying in his prayer, give us our day, our daily bread. And there is, there is wisdom there that the Father provides, the daily sustenance, even if Jesus isn't a seven. There's a word from Jesus for, for sevens. And for all of us, I suppose. The, um, and so, saves you from gluttony. You don't have to hoard. Uh, you don't have to, to consume, consume, consume. Some of the the best examples that can be pointed to 
of like real growth is sevens who have gone through significant grief uh, and, and stayed in their pain and dealt with some of that pain. They become really, really, really interesting captivator. Like Robin Williams was probably a seven. And as great as things like, uh, as, as great as some of Robin Williams' work is, there's little that's greater than Dead Poet Society and Patch Adams and um, even some of his weird horror films. Like, he is able <laughs> to display something so much more true yeah. about the human condition because he had to go through significant grief. And he's able to showcase that for the rest of us. Or if you look at his stand-up, his stand-up is like an hour-long fire hose of information and jokes. And it's so intense because he's doing so much. But then you also get things like Dead Poets Society. So displaying this wisdom of God is, is work that, that sevens can do that... Oh man, it's so good when it happens. We have one more section left in this series, and we're going to save that for next week. You can take this time to think about your own contemplative practice. Do you need silence, solitude, or stillness? Do you have to allow it, or engage it, or maybe rest in it? Right now may be a great time for you to start, and the only way to fail at this is to not show up. As always, you can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram, and if our work brings your life value, the best thing you can do is share our podcast with one person you care about. He's TJ Wilson, he's officially awesome, and I'm Jeff Cook, and who you aren't isn't interesting. Be who you are, because that's where the gold is. <laughs>